everybody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Well, uh, we got a lot of different news to talk about today. Um, you know, the October 7th attack in the Hamas uh, attack on Israel has led to a whole bunch of things that we now know sort of representing the underbelly of our universities and how woke and how left. I don't even know if, you know, woke has got to be a negative word. I mean, you know, it used to be that woke was a good word. Like, oh, I'm woke, I'm awakened. But but when, when I say woke, I, I really mean demented, distorted, brainwashed, MK-altered, you name it. And, you know, it's kind of funny, but Saul Alinsky um, was, a, was sort of like a student and a professor of mind manipulation, grooming, and persuasion. And Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama come out of that pipe, that, that pipeline of Saul Alinsky disciples out of Chicago. And what we're seeing practiced throughout is, well, first the implementation from Obama of these tactics. And I think he had it pretty good because he was black or he positioned himself to be black and he was a Manchurian candidate. No one really knows where he came from. No one knows what kind of grades he got at Occidental or how he got into Columbia or Harvard, um, how he got into these schools. Nobody knows the full story on Mike Robinson or Michelle Robinson. Nobody knows a lot about the, the Obamas, except that they're wicked. Not wicked smart, wicked, evil. 
They hate America. Whether it's Barack hating uh, the founding fathers and finding that the Constitution gets in the way of what it is that he wants to do. Or Michelle Obama, who for the first time in her life was proud of her country because they elected her husband and they raked in hundreds of millions of dollars since 2008. And sit at the board of every mind-manipulating, MK-ultra-grooming entity that there is. Namely, Netflix. Every time you turn on a show on Netflix, it's teaching you how your religion is bad. You know, how we should be more secular as a society. Or how... Homosexuality is flat out normal. And it's probably in the name of the three things that I think that they fear the most. God, family, and love of country. So it's basically love for your God, love for your family, love of your country. They want to spoil all of those things. They want to turn your God into some fictional character. They want to turn your family upside down and inside out with drugs and LGBTQ BS and trans this and gender dysphoria that. And they want to tear apart your country by flooding it with people we don't even know. Yeah, they're doing it all right. And our country is the worst for it. And these Democrat friends of mine won't stop voting for this BS because they're too blind and too stupid to see the truth. And that's frustrating in and of itself. They think I'm the oddball out. They think that the guy that spoke on Hannity last night is the oddball. When he is basically the one with the best track record, the best jobs numbers, the lowest taxes, the best peace, world peace agenda. Yet everybody wants to harp on mean tweets and that's not presidential. Well, what is presidential at this point? Is it the Bush dynasty? Is it the way they hold their head up high and their chin out? Is it the Mitt Romneys of the world who are dignified by raiding uh, corporations and breaking them apart and selling them in pieces? I mean, really. So, what is a president? What is a man? What is what does God look like? I mean, the thing is, I've always heard that if God presents Himself to you, it's 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 going to be maybe different than what you may have expected. But. Uh, The thing is, is that we got to stop judging books by the, the covers and read the books. Read the Bible. Read the books. And take care of your family. Love your family. Love your country. 
and fight back against this tyranny that's invading our country. And the Democrats right now are one of the agents of of this fierce battle that we're fighting. They're they're against us. And we have to do something about it. We do. So this new story is that Israel investigates possible trading knowledge ahead of October 7th Hamas attacks. These Hamas attacks, which led to money laundering in the Middle East, turmoil in the Middle East, uh, it pretty much handed Russia the win because we can't afford to fund Ukraine anymore, and uh, which is fine by me because Zelensky... Uh, where it is, just got his American citizenship card. That's the word on the street that Zelensky has applied for a citizen visa and will be living in Vero Beach, Florida soon. That's what I've heard. That's what I've read. I've seen the documents and it's quite interesting. So he'll tell. We all always knew that he owned property in Florida. He owns property all over the world. The guy is a billionaire now, thanks to this war. All the people that died. It's great for depopulation, I guess. But what? Why, why do we waste all of those billions of dollars? That, well, the reason why is because it got laundered back into the D.C. Beltway, and a lot of politicians were funded from that Ukrainian war fund. That Ukrainian war chest financed a lot of politicians' campaigns. All Democrats. To run for office and win. So it says here, Reuters, okay, this is Reuters, Israel investigates possible trading knowledge ahead of... October 7th, Hamas attack. So this is kind of interesting. Days before October 7th, Hamas attack on Israel, stock traders magically began anticipating events to come. Research by law professors Robert Jackson Jr. from NYU and Joshua Mitz of Columbia reveals massive short selling leading up to the attacks. The short selling before October 7th was so extreme, it exceeded the short selling that occurred during numerous other periods of crisis, including after the Great Recession of 2008, the 2014 Israel-Gaza War, and the COVID pandemic. They said this, in quotes, Our findings suggest that traders informed about the coming attacks profited from these tragic events. In the days before the attack, bets against Israeli securities traded on the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange increased dramatically. For example, the researchers found that between September 14th and October 5th, just before October 7th, there were 4.4 million million new shares sold short in Bank Lumi one of Israel's largest banks. Bank Lumi's shares, share prices tumbled 23% to 
between October 4th and October 23rd. What on earth is going on here? We knew who knew what and when. Why are we allowing these people to get away with this? We need criminal investigations immediately. And Reuters is the one that posted that story. It's absolutely stunning. Well, there was a lot of meetings on Capitol Hill. One was related to women in sports and Title IX and uh, the, uh, you know, the transgender um, movement in sports. And uh, so that was an interesting discussion. We were going to play some clips from that. Uh, you had Christopher Ray in the Senate before the Senate committee. And he really got pounded yesterday. I mean, whew, Tom Cruise just gave him some. And uh, so Tom Cruise and, and um, a lot of other senators, Josh Hawley, really gave him the, the treatment. And rightfully so, rightfully so, because, you know, uh, he deserves it. He is the ambassador of two standards of justice. So I don't even know where to start because we're going to play all of them. Um, And then we have Donald Trump on Hannity and he gave some really great, he, he gave a great performance. Just his whole presentation was great. And uh, did himself a a lot of favor. Because you know why he's trying in Iowa. Because he's afraid of the rigging, number one. He's got to break the algorithm. But more importantly, if he were to somehow lose Iowa, which Iowa, you're not playing around with a lot of votes. And you could... You know, in a caucus, you could lose Iowa in some way. And that would really hurt the Trump mystique and momentum. And so, you know, he doesn't want to risk losing Iowa. Because once he wins Iowa and he goes to New Hampshire and South Carolina, it's game over. And then everybody starts to rally behind Trump. And that's the game that's being played right now. But it starts with Iowa, and he has to win Iowa. Otherwise, the media is going to just pile on for Trump. And then the indictments, and he's, you know, everybody's going to say, told you so. So he can't risk that. So he's got to win comfortably. All right. So we have um, also this civil rights division, what's going on in our campuses. They're being funded by, and I've talked about this last week, Qatar and Hamas. And that's why you're seeing this Hamas, these protests. And they're pushing these Palestinian agenda. Trump never did that. Trump treated Palestinians like adults and said, look, come to the table, we'll negotiate with you. Otherwise, you don't have to. And they didn't. We won't. We want it all or nothing. The river to the sea. 
Israel must end. Die. Die America. Die Israel. So they're like, uh, good luck with that. We're not negotiating that. Those are terms we don't agree with. Get out of my office. And they sat on the sidelines like dodo brains. The Palestinians got to be the dumbest negotiators on the planet because they were given an opportunity in the beginning of the Trump era and they blew it to the point where they sat on the sidelines for so long they went broke begging for handouts from the what West that they hate. And you didn't see a lot of this uprising. You know why? They couldn't, fi- they couldn't finance it. They couldn't afford it. But the Biden regime keeps on giving them money. And then you see all these protests. Everybody's buying flags with their money. Stupid Palestinian flags and, and banners that say, hate America, hate Israel, river to the sea. And you see all these morons on college campuses doing the same doggone thing. Brainless, brainwashed, Solidlinsky style. Obama should be proud. So let us get this straight. DOJ's U.S. Assistant Attorney General for the Civil Rights Division, Kristen Clark, is not familiar with the Missouri Biden uh, versus Biden case that involved social media censorship on social media that was paid for by the government. One of the most massive attacks on free speech in American history and the largest Supreme Court case this year. And the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, Kristen Clark, a black woman, doesn't know what the heck is going on? Let's take a, let's take a listen. ...versus Biden case uh, in the district court. The court explained, quote, if the allegations made by the plaintiffs are true, the present case arguably involves the most massive attack on free speech in United States history, close quote. Court went on to find that the plaintiffs were reasonably likely to succeed on the merits at trial, entered a preliminary injunction. The Fifth Circuit has affirmed. The Supreme Court has taken jurisdiction of the case. Of course, that's all civil litigation. Is any criminal investigation or prosecution of the persons responsible for that activity in the FBI, CISA, and at the White House and their co-conspirators underway in the Civil Rights Division? Um, Congressman, I'm, I'm not... Uh, familiar with this litigation, but happy to bring your question back. Thank you. So let me just make sure I understand that. You are not aware of the Missouri versus Biden litigation that is currently being uh, taken up by the United States Supreme Court. Is that correct? <clears throat> uh, un- unfortunately, I'm, I'm not, Congressman. Well, assuming not, uh, assuming that you're not aware of that, um, what, what reason would there be that the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department's leader is unaware of what a United States District Court has described as the most massive attack on free speech in the United States history? Um, if, if, if you could share more of the facts uh, that could be helpful, Congressman. What Otherwise, you're just... You just don't know. That's diversity in action right there, folks. Unfortunately, this does not appear to be a case that I'm familiar with. This is the Biden administration. 
knows nothing, sees nothing, dumb as as Sergeant Schultz in in Hogan's Heroes. Meanwhile, that's going on. We're fighting for women's right to uh, compete in sports by getting tranny dudes, big hairy gorillas, out of the women's locker room. And also allowing women to compete. They're destroying Title IX overnight. And I take it a little bit personally because I'm a wrestling uh, fan, college wrestling fan. And there's been hundreds of wrestling programs that have been cut as part of the sacrifice that was made by universities who had to make room for equity uh, which is Title Nine? I was never a big fan of Title Nine, but could acknowledge that Title Nine had one positive impact: it allowed women to compete in sports more readily, and by doing so, learning how to win, learning how to lose, and learning—you know—how hard work can pay off, just like the men had opportunities to do. And I always acknowledged, you know, there is that one good thing that comes out of that. But I hate the fact that wrestling programs sacrifice so much from this. And, uh, you know, Riley Gaines right here uh, said a lot. Just physical listen. contact uh, or throwing something at one another or collision. Uh, these girls are scared. Um, another th- thing I hear across the country uh, is women are terrified to speak out. Uh, They're terrified to be vilified. They're terrified to be called transphobic uh, or bigots like we've been called in in this hearing today for for stating our views. Uh, And that's a real threat. And I understand it because since taking the stance that I've taken, my address has been leaked. And since my address was leaked, I've had people showing up at my doorstep. I've had drones flying above my house. Uh, I can't even tell you the amount of death threats that I've had that have Uh, rendered the FBI getting involved. Uh, It's real. The vitriol I've faced, I've been held for ransom for over four hours where these protesters demanded that if I wanted to make it home to see my family safely again, I had to pay them money. Uh, I've been hit. I've been spit on. I've had bottles thrown at me, drinks poured on me. Uh, Again, uh, Thomas's teammates in particular, they were forced every single week to go to mandatory LGBTQ education meetings to learn about how just by being cisgender, they were oppressing Thomas. And when they were concerned about the locker room aspect, and 16 of these swimmers, Thomas's teammates, sent an email to their administration with their parents on the email expressing their discomfort in the locker room, the administration responded back with, if you feel uncomfortable seeing male genitalia, here are some counseling resources that you should seek in an attempt to re-educate yourself. Uh, at in, Roanoke in College... Of, what, in, in light of the time, Ms. Gaines, just real, yeah. real quickly, um, I, I know that the locker room situation that you described earlier... Do you think that the NCAA is actually do, working to improve this situation, or is it kind of status quo with them and sweeping it under the rug? Uh, it's certainly status quo. Uh, President Charlie Baker testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee a few weeks ago, and when confronted with that exact question, you know, what does this policy pertaining to the locker rooms look like right now, he couldn't answer. He didn't know what the policy was. He had to tell Senator Hawley, well, let me get back to you in writing. And I think that's incredibly telling for the NCAA president to not even know the policy as it stands pertaining to locker rooms. Ms. Perry, um, 
You described uh, that the federal government is perpetuating an athletic fraud of unprecedented proportions on students. Um, do you think, uh, one, that the Biden administration's efforts will actually? Well, it, it's certainly killing women's sports overnight. It's literally an attack on women. And uh, here's another coach from Oberlin College. This woman I thought was a liberal, one of the liberals on the panel, and it turns out no, she was, she was, uh, she probably is a liberal, but she draws the line when it comes to men in women's sports. Let's take a listen. I'm Kim Russell, an ambassador for the Independent Women's Forum. Why am I here? I'm 56 years old. I'm an athlete, a coach, a mother, and a teacher, and a longtime advocate for women and girls. This has been my life and my passion. I played two sports at the D1 level that never would have been possible without Title IX. I've been a lacrosse coach for over 27 years. I'm in three halls of fame for coaching and contributing to the growth of lacrosse, and there's actually an award in my name. Oberlin College removed me from coaching and offered me an administrative position after I chose to publicly tell my story and refused to be silent or back down about my belief that men no matter how they self-identify, should not be allowed to compete in women's sports. I joined Oberlin College in 2018 as a head women's lacrosse coach and a wellness instructor. I've always been pro-woman, then and now. Over the course of my coaching career, I've been a mentor to many women and girls, sharing advice both on and off the field. My athletes, including several who've identified as transgender, have always known they can come to me to laugh, to cry, or anything in between. I've been nicknamed the hippie love coach. Not only because I'm a yoga instructor, I'm usually barefoot, these shoes are not my typical wear. Um, I read energy and coach intuitively, but because I've given countless individuals a safe space to thrive and feel a sense of belonging. In March of 2022, I'd been following the story of Leah Thomas and kept thinking someone would speak up. How could a biological male be allowed to compete with women regardless of a hormone-blocking regime? I was flabbergasted that coaches, parents, administrators, and athletes were okay with this. After Thomas won, I reposted an Instagram post on my personal story that said, Congratulations to Emma Wayant, the real woman who won the NCAA 500-yard freestyle. I added my own short commentary. What do you believe? I can't be quiet on this. I've spent my entire life playing sports, coaching, and starting sports programs for girls and women. Turns out it was more controversial than I could have ever anticipated. Based on this simple post, I was called transgressive, transphobic, and unsafe. I was told to write letters of apology to my team and the athletic department because of the unrest and disruption I had caused. I couldn't apologize for something that I'm not sorry for. I would not and will not apologize for saying a biological male does not belong in women's sports and private spaces. As an athlete and coach for nearly my entire life, I am personally familiar with the distinct differences between male and female athletes. I gave birth to four kids. I ran the sidelines nursing a child while I coached in the state championships, and I've had another child on my back at the same time. After I refused to apologize, I was called in for a meeting of my team with a mediator present. 
A handful of the student athletes on my team attacked and vilified me as if I were the enemy and had just killed someone. A week later, there was another meeting with my team and three college administrators for one hour and 42 minutes, the same athletes who I had treated like my own kids bashed me over and over again in front of the administrators simply for having a pro-woman perspective that was different from theirs. I had to stay quiet and repeat back everything they said and confirm that I had heard their concerns. At the end of the meeting, I was given the chance to respond, at which point I knew whatever I said would land on deaf ears. I was called into the AD's office after the season ended and handed a letter. At the bottom it said, this letter is intended to help you understand and appreciate the impact of your actions and the need for you to immediately modify your behavior. I asked Oberlin to provide me with a written letter on what I had done wrong and how I could improve my behavior, but was never provided any clarity. When I arrived at Oberlin in 2018, I was so excited to be part of a community that celebrates free spirit, open-minded dialogue, freedom of speech, and freedom of expression. I'm the hippie love coach. I thought I was home. But Oberlin, like many higher-level institutions today, only seems to support the First Amendment if your values align with theirs. Most people have chosen to stay silent in this topic because of the consequences seem too great. Loss of a job, reputation, friends or family, you name it. I am here in part to speak for them. I will never apologize for believing that women and girls should have the right to single-sex competition, a right for which women before me fought tirelessly. I'm hoping that my speaking up will give others the courage to do the same. I am here hoping to ensure that you understand the ramifications of the Biden administration's proposed regulations and that you will each do your job to ensure that the original meaning of Title IX is upheld. It was passed when I was five. I have reaped the benefits and my life's journey continues to be massively impacted. The Biden administration is trying to effectively change the meaning and language of Title IX. If allowed, this will endanger women in sports and private spaces take away opportunities from women in sports and academia. Never in a million years did I think I would be sitting here at 56 fighting to get back the rights that were given to women and girls 51 years ago. Since March of 2022, many more biological males have invaded women's and girls' sports. There have been life-changing injuries, opportunities lost, and privacy has been invaded. We are harming women and girls. You have the opportunity to be heroes. This is about upholding truth, protecting the dreams of female athletes, and the original meaning of Title IX. So that was pretty powerful. And there was a lot of powerful testimony in that uh, realm. She goes on to say later in the the thing that... um, in the committee hearing that, uh, you know, she played intramural co-ed, but with co-ed, you know, the men don't hit the women like they would hit other men. They kind of pull their punches a little, you know, when you're playing a co-ed sport, you know, you just, it's just common sense. And one time a guy fell on her, the worst injury she ever had, two dislocated ribs. This woman's like five, four, you know, pretty, pretty small. And uh, love sports. But, uh, you know, and Riley Gaines went into a lot of other things. And, and the Democrats, 
um, you know, they, they, they tried to talk about transphobia and how uh, they need to learn how to lose to, to uh, trans. And they're just upset because trans win and are taking their gold medals. That's <laughs> It's just so off the mark, it's not even funny. Now we have um, the these same universities that are allowing for Hamas and Palestinian protesters to attack Israel students. Um, you know, what is going on in our universities that have become so radically socialized to where transvestites are allowed to compete with women? And you never see the sex change person switching from woman to man and wanting to compete with the men's sports. Of course, they would never make the team. It's just, there's more to this because this is not logical debate, right? This is not even a logical debate, a logical discussion. Anyone with half a brain knows what's going on. I mean, in terms of the idiocy of it. But what is the underlying agenda? And I say it's to, uh, it's, it's, it's psyops. It's mind manipulation. It's MK Ultra stuff. It's grooming and false uh, narratives to attack Christianity. Because I think every time they say something about uh, a man could get pregnant or something like that, or they don't know how many sexes there are, there could be more than two. It's an assault on Judaic Christian values in general. It's a complete assault on that. God created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve. It's what we've all known. It's been instilled with biological and scientific fact, yet they're now trying to flip it all upside down because they want to control their own COVID science, their own climate science, and now their own biological science, you see. And they want to take God out of the equation and replace it with government and science, which is controlled by government, you see. And they want to do the same thing with everything else. And that it starts with the indoctrination of children at an early age in schools. So, hello, Randy Weingartner and the Department of Education. See? So that's what's going on. Let's take a listen to this uh, exchange with uh, Elise Stefanik. Let's take a listen. Ms. Stefanik, you're recognized for five minutes. Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African-Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to free speech... It's a yes or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to... So the Harvard president's, you know, a black woman with these big black glasses or big blue glasses, you know, (laughs) oozes liberalism, has a really short butch haircut, um, and... Uh, there it is, you know, and her last name's Gay. All for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard. Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech. It's a yes or no question. Claudine Gay. Let me ask you this. You are president of Harvard, so I assume you're familiar with the term intifada, correct? 
I've heard that term, yes. And you understand that the use of the term intifada in the context of the Israeli-Arab conflict is indeed a call for violent armed resistance against the state of Israel, including violence against civilians and the genocide of Jews. Are you aware of that? That type of hateful speech is personally abhorrent to me. And there have been multiple marches at Harvard with students chanting, quote, there is only one solution, intifada revolution, and, quote, globalize the intifada. Is that correct? I've heard that thoughtless, reckless, and hateful language on our campus, yes. So based upon your testimony, you understand that this call for intifada is to commit genocide against the Jewish people in Israel and globally, correct? I will say again, that type of hateful speech she didn't answer the is question. personally abhorrent to me. Do you believe that Lip type service. of hateful speech is contrary to Harvard's code of conduct, or is it allowed at Harvard? It is at odds with the values of Harvard. Can you but not say here that it is also... against the code of conduct at Harvard? We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are... Yeah, now listen, before she says this, just know that if you wear a Make America Great Again hat, uh, you'll be kicked off campus. So... It just depends on what you're saying, whether they agree with you or not, as to whether speech is allowed or not. Objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? You testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech, speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable. You and I both know that's offensive. not the case. You are aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? As I observed earlier, I reject that characterization. It's the of data our shows it's true. And isn't it true that Harvard previously rescinded multiple offers of admissions for applicants and accepted freshmen for sharing offensive memes, uh, racist statements, sometimes as young as 16 years old? Did Harvard not rescind those offers of admission? That long predates my time as president. But you so understand that Harvard made that decision to rescind those offers of admission. I have no reason to contradict the facts as you present them. Correct, here. because it's a fact. You're also aware that a Winthrop House faculty dean was let go over, he, over who he chose to legally represent, correct? That was while you were dean. That is an incorrect characterization of what transpired. What's the characterization? I'm not going to get into details about a personnel matter. Well, let me ask you this. Will admissions offers be rescinded or any disciplinary action be taken against students or applicants who say, from the river to the sea or intifada, advocating for the murder of Jews? As I've said, that type of hateful, reckless, offensive speech is personally abhorrent to me. And today that when no action will be taken. What action will be taken? When speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation, we take action, and we have robust 
disciplinary processes that allow us to hold individuals accountable. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust What actions have been taken? I'm Sounds not pretty disgusting. I'm asking what actions have been taken against given, those students? Given students' rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. Do you know what the number one hate crime in America is? I know that over the last couple of months, there has been an alarming rise of anti-Semitism, which I understand is the critical topic that we are here to discuss. That's correct. It is anti-Jewish hate crimes. And Harvard ranks the lowest when it comes to protecting Jewish students. This is why I've called for your resignation. And your testimony today, not being able to answer with moral clarity, speaks volumes. I yield back. So, you know, and then Penn, uh, uh, there was a Jewish student that got attacked on their way to the library. Um, so there was a lot of that going on. And uh, I had a couple of more clips. I'm just looking at the clock and I'm looking at the, you know, um, let's take a listen to this one really quick, a little bit. I'm not going to play the whole thing. Uh, September 21, a Penn student was taken into custody after bursting into a Jewish organization's morning prayer service, shouting, <laughs> shouting anti-Semitic comments, destructing property, and so forth. On November 10, after the October 7 Hamas attack, Penn issues an apology for a display of light projected onto campus buildings with anti-Israeli messages, including phrases such as, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. So it's the same over at Penn as it is over at Harvard. Um, and we also have a couple of clips uh, we want to get over to Chris Ray and his testimony. But um, I have John from Chicago area on the line. Welcome. Welcome. Hey, it's Scott Horia. Uh, you know, that, that president of Harvard, by the way, is not known to be uh, an intellectual powerhouse. He's, they, they compared a letter she wrote to a letter, I think, of earlier Harvard president wrote on free speech. And there's just light years of difference. She's, uh, she's, she was an affirmative action hire. Sorry. Right. Diversity, yeah. But, 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 yeah. But the, the other issue is, you know, Republicans are really going to bat to defend Jewish students and Israel and, and Jewish interests. Not to be too transactional about this, but are we going to get some payback on that? Or are Jewish voters going to vote Democrat again? It, That's the thing. I mean, over 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 seventy seventy percent of Israel is, uh, Jewish people vote Democrat, and you wonder why? Why? <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that's why I think there's a lot of I think a lot of people on the right are a little bit like, well, not our fight, because they don't think they think they're going to get knifed in the back when when we need them for an issue. That's there needs to be some some uh, some uh, pay to play, so to speak, or some I scratch your back, you scratch my quid back. Quid pro quo, yeah. Well, I, well, exactly. Quid pro quo. I don't disagree with. Look, these these campuses are intolerant, and you know if it was the other way around, or if they're talking about black students or about black interests, there would be a completely different uh, uh, approach. They may even just sit back if violence was a, was done against the speaker. 
who who engaged in unpopular or not politically correct, not woke speech. You could see violence, just like there was violence against Trump supporters in 2016. You saw the videos where they were attacked and the police seemingly did nothing. I think it was Chicago it happened. San Jose or in the Bay Area. Oh, and in Seattle where the uh, Trump supporter got shot in the chest and murdered. Well, I think there's one in Denver, too, in 2020. Yeah, I remember that, too, yeah. And and so we've got to start doing something about the university president. It's got to be the governor's. Who start to appoint different people to the board? Well, they got to also they got to focus they got to focus on the funding from Qatar and these outside uh, countries that are fueling, you know, are manipulating the universities with big time money. That's fair enough. I'm willing to look at that too. You know, we did that with the China houses, um, the Chinese um, or the Chinese money that was coming into universities. China houses. Although I, I would argue it's far bigger than that. It goes back to the administration's fostering an all-encompassing environment. And it, it goes back to where Herbert Marcuse uh, was a structural Marxist, cultural Marxist in the 50s, talking about liberating tolerance, which was to ban certain speech, meaning our speech, and to uh, promote the speech of things they agree with. It's called right. liberating tolerance. And that has animated these people. Yeah. I'd say that's far bigger than China or Qatar. Yeah. If they reappoint, they appoint different presidents to appoint different department heads, it'll take 10 or 20 years, but it'll start to, it'll turn around, or at least it'll improve if right. we do that. And it, the only other thing I was going to say is, you know, we, this trans discussion, this is insane. And you'd think you wouldn't have to have an argument about this. <laughs> and I don't know what's going to, going to cost the votes for the Democrats. When are people going to wake up? But when you look at this, the Russians, the Chinese, they look on, I think they laugh, but they're, they're just, they're, they're puzzled and they're bemused. I think the whole world, very most people around the world have to wonder what's going on in America and in Western Europe. Right. But you know, at some point, John, at some point, John, you got to look to your liberal friends that you know you have and question yeah. Just, just question that. What, where in the world are they coming off with saying I'm going to vote for Biden again? Where, where does that come from? What kind of insanity does that come from? You know, uh, they think it's not going to affect them. That's, I guess, that's it. They think it won't affect them, and they like the welfare, or they like the this or that or Donald Trump's tweets and they think this no they believe in socialized medicine and equity they believe in that they believe in that concept and it's (laughs) it's crazy and they went to the university and that's where they learned it (laughs) yep yeah I just wanted to check in that All right. hey thank you for calling in today take care thanks God have a great day All right. yeah I don't know I can I can hardly explain it um, because insanity is really hard to explain um, but there it is. Uh, here are Josh Hawley. We got this. Which now apparently includes the crime of being Catholic. So Let's talk a little bit about the Chris FBI's Ray. egregious targeting of Catholic Americans. You have repeatedly been asked about the memo gener- generated by the Richmond Field Office. We now know in collaboration with multiple other field offices about recruiting sources in Catholic churches. You have repeatedly said that no human sources were approached. This is you on July the 12th in the House. You were asked directly by Jim Jordan, do you think that priests ought to be approached to give information on parishioners? You said, no, sir, no, sir. You went on to say, we do not recruit, open, or operate human sources. We do not 
report on religious organizations. You went on to say, this product, meaning the Richmond memo, has not resulted in any investigative action. But now we know that, in fact, FBI agents did approach a priest and a choir director to ask them to inform on parishioners. So were you lied to when you gave this testimony, or were you lying to Congress? Neither. So the, you are, your question conflates two different things. Uh, there's the intelligence product itself, uh, which the Richmond field office created. It was written by, as our inspection found, by analysts in Richmond, reviewed by people in Richmond, and captioned Richmond field office product. Separately from that, there was an investigation of a specific individual who was amassing Molotov cocktails and posting about killing people. And it does not surprise me that there were people who knew that subject in that investigation, that is the guy building the Molotov cocktails and trying to kill people, that people talked to the witnesses who knew that person. And I think the product, the Richmond Intelligence product, which cites that investigation, is actually pretty transparent about exactly what I just said. No, I, no, I don't think so at all. In fact, a whistle. the only reason we know this is a whistleblower has come forward and told the House under oath that the FBI went and interviewed priests and choir directors in the Richmond area. The, the House goes on to say that the FBI has repeatedly refused to disclose this information. The only reason we know it is because a whistleblower came forward with it. Just like the only reason we know about this memo is because a whistleblower came forward with it. How many other parishes around the country have priests or choir directors been approached? By the way, are, are Catholic choirs now, are, are, they, are they breeding grounds for domestic terrorism? Is this, is this your latest theory? How many other parishes have FBI agents approached priests and choir directors to ask about parishioners? Look, Senator, we do not and will not conduct investigations based on anybody's exercise of their constitutionally You have religion. done so, and your memo sure. explicitly asks for it. Those your memo labels traditional Catholics as racially and ethnically motivated violent extremists in need of investigation. You have a list of churches, a list in the memo. You've repeatedly said we don't target churches, we don't list churches. <clears throat> They're listed in the memo. So how many other parishes have you gone to to talk to choir directors, for heaven's sake? As I've said... Know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, I don't know the answer to that question. But I can tell you that we don't investigate people for their exercise of their constantly protected, constitutionally protected religious expression. I, I that particular can't... intelligence product is something that as soon as I saw it, I was aghast. I had it withdrawn. Really, you were aghast. I was. And, oh, really? Yes, and what sir. have you done about it? Did you fire the people who wrote it? No, I had it withdrawn. Have you fired anybody involved in it? Senator, if you will give me a chance to answer That's a your yes question. or a no. It's not hard. Have you fired anyone involved in the writing of that outrageous memo, about which, frankly, you've repeatedly misled the public? Yes or no? The individuals involved... That's a pretty beat, pretty good beatdown right there. Here's the part where, where uh, guitar, I wanted to get that, too. Let's take a listen. In October, I introduced H.R. <laughs> 5933, the Deterrent Act, to bring greater transparency and accountability for institutions of higher education accepting donations from foreign entities. This, will, this bill will pass House hopefully tomorrow, and I'm hoping that Senate will take it up. The, the invo involvement of hostile foreign entities 
in our post-secondary institutions is one of the biggest threats facing colleges and universities. Question number one is Dr. Alcorn-Bloth. In September 2019, then-Secretary DeVos opened the Section 117, it's a foreign disclosure section, investigation into MIT that has not been closed. What concrete steps that has MIT taken to address the lack of Section 117 reporting? So let me say, and thank you for the question, we have cooperated fully. I can't comment on an open investigation, but I have to say they we never have can. greatly increased. The global study of anti-Semitism found that from 2015 to 2020, institutions that accepted unreported money from Middle Eastern donors had an, on average, 300 more anti-Semitic incidents than those institutions that did not. So, so did you see that? The money they were getting from Qatar and other Middle Eastern nations <clears throat> generated more experiences or more output of anti-Semitic behavior than the universities that weren't funded. That's what you just said there. Okay. President uh, Gay, McGill, and Kornblatt, any of you can answer this. Do you believe foreign nations with views hostile to Israel would desire U.S. students to echo their views? Yeah, and the answer is yes, but they're going to lie. So here's what she just said. She just said that uh, the study in, in, indicates... Uh, Gay, McGill, and Kornblatt, right, right any of you... Institute for the Global Study of Anti-Semitism found that from 2015 to 2020, institutions that accepted unreported money from Middle Eastern donors had an, on average, 300 more anti-Semitic incidents than those institutions that did not. So, So unreported money going into universities from Middle East countries had over 300 more incidents of anti-Semitic behavior incidents than the universities that did not receive that money. Yeah, it's pay to play. And it's uh, meddling in our politics as well. And it's dividing our country. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can to help keep the Scott Adams Show commercial free. Also, use Red State over at mypillow.com. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye bye, everybody. We're a stand, the mound's getting steeper. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there. 